0: Good morning, church family. It's so nice to see y'all. Uh, happy Sabbath. And uh, I have to say I've been blessed by the whole service so far. I think I say that every time I'm up here. But from the children's story to the PNS to the special music, everybody in between, I'm always blessed and I hope you guys are too. Um, I do have a little presentation if you can bring that up. Um, But I've been in the pews listening to the pastor's sermon series on the sanctuary, and I've really been enjoying it. There are different things when I'm sitting down and I'm listening to God's Word. When I hear a preacher, sometimes different stories come up, different ideas, different parables, different uh, prophetic ideas, uh, or or different prophecies in the Bible, and it's just so neat um, to be able to share some of those things with you. Now, the reading of uh, the Scripture is going to go into our message, and it does have a point to it, but when you think of the sanctuary, you've been listening, I don't know if you've gotten to all four of the messages the pastor has been sharing, but the sanctuary message, what one word would you think of when you think of the, uh, the sanctuary? What one word, if you had to share the sanctuary with somebody, what one word would you do, would you use? Okay. I chose the word dwell, it's part of my uh, sermon title, because I think it incorporates so many different things, it does no harm to the in-between, but incorporates the beginning also with the ending, and we're going to see that as we go through. But some of the pictures of the last couple weekends I want to share with you, just so you cement in your mind some of the ideas I have about dwelling. Now a couple weekends ago, some of the little kids got to go out to Chattanooga and got to go to the... Um, aquarium and this is a picture most of everybody's back but anyway everybody's enjoying seeing the otters it's a lot of fun being out with everybody and just dwelling looking at what God has created and just enjoying the social aspect of being with your church family here's another one where um, a couple of girls had noticed some turtles and some alligators I think were in that area and everybody's pretty fearless When there's two inches of glass in between you and alligators. I'm pretty fearless when there's two inches of glass between me and whatever else there is. Here's another one of more of the alligators. You can see them swimming in the water. And my little girl is definitely fearless when there's two inches of glass between her and an alligator. Um, The last one is of last weekend when we had potluck. And here's uh, my daughter being fed by a couple of ladies, um, uh, Jeannie and uh, Dee. And it's just so cute to see fellowship abiding, um, dwelling together, and this is what I always think of, and this is what I'm going to go into uh, when I talk about abiding, dwelling, and the sanctuary, and I want to make sure it's all tied together. So um, here's our church potluck, just a big, big wide uh, view of it, but this is what I think of When I talk about abiding, when I think of dwelling, when I think of the sanctuary, now like I said, I don't think the word uh, dwelling takes away from anything in between or the beginning or the ending, but I'm going to begin at Genesis, go to the end of time, talk about how to dwell in the sanctuary, realize that God knew that there were going to be attacks on the sanctuary, and then also how to reconnect to the sanctuary. Um, First off, in Genesis one and two, we have creation. So God created all things, but in there, there's a concept of dwelling, and there's a fun piece to dwelling that He brings out. He says, "Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every man, uh, formed every beast of the field, and every fowl of the air, and brought them to Adam." Why did He bring them to Adam? To see what He would call them. Isn't this so cool that our Creator wants to just spend time and see what we're going to call something? And everything that he called it, it was a the name thereof. What would you call this little guy? If God brought this to you and said, hey, what do you call him? Cute. What would you call this guy if he just roared up on you and just presented his, his stripes and his colors and his face and his teeth probably? What would you call this little guy? This is probably my cutest and favorite. I've always had pets, and so I've always enjoyed them. These are the concepts that I'm talking about when we talk about dwelling, and this is the concept from Genesis that God wanted to dwell with Adam. Moving on, Jesus, in explaining to to everybody, he said, Let not your heart be troubled, and he's speaking about the end of time. You believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house. So we're talking about his house, his father's house. Um, He has created many mansions or dwelling places for people. If it were not so, I would have told you. But guess where I'm going? I'm going to prepare a place for you because I want to dwell with you. And it ends with, "Where, where I am, you may be also. That's why I love this word dwell. That's why I love the concept of the sanctuary. That's why I love this sermon series the pastor's been giving because it does so much in the way of explaining uh, dwelling and God. Here in Revelation, it restates the same concept. One of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in the white robes? Whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Oops, hit this twice. Therefore... Uh, "...therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He sitteth on the throne, and He shall dwell among them." This is talking about the end of time. Last one is in Revelation 21, 1-3, "...and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband." And behold, the great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he dwells with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be their God. This is a beautiful, overarching story that begins in Genesis, ends in Revelation, and is all throughout the whole entire Scriptures, and is in the sanctuary. And that's where we're going to go next. Um, How God, or how Jesus described and how to dwell inside dwell in the temple. Now there are three uh, particular points that Jesus made in this. Um, his body is the temple, God dwells in you and that was also brought out in Colossians in the first uh, scripture reading and that he has committed to you the word of reconciliation. The first one is in John 5:39. And I just want to bring this out because there's an interesting point in here where a lot of us will get lost. We'll take literal things. And we'll give them too much or we will confuse them with the reality of what God was intending. Jesus warns here that we would forget the spiritual application of these literal things that he was going to give us. Here he gave us the scriptures and people or the Pharisees would study through those because they thought if they followed the scriptures or just had the scriptures, God owed them or they would earn eternal life. And that was not the case. There would not be a harming of this scripture if we were to say, you perform duties in the sanctuary, and in doing the duties, you think you have eternal life, but they actually testify of me. And we'll find out more about that as we go through the sanctuary. And that's a part of the message that has been coming through this sermon series. Each one of these articles inside the sanctuary testified of Christ. It's an interesting fact. Um, Jesus answered, answered unto them and saying, Destroy this temple, meaning his body, and in three days I will raise it up. And then they referred back to the temple that was built and thought he was referring to the actual sanctuary. And, he said, and, and But he really spoke of his body. Later on, Paul goes in and he says, Know you not, don't you know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So here Jesus is explaining, you are the temple. He's trying to explain in the scriptures, in the sanctuary, it actually talks about how you are supposed to have these things in you. 2 Corinthians brings out, just like in our scripture reading, um, the concept of God dwelling in man. Um, This one, it points out how God was dwelling in Christ. To wit, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed to them the message of reconciliation. Now, that's one of the coolest ones, just to refer back to the original Scripture, to point out that not just our, our bodies are the dwelling place, but also that God is dwelling within us. I'm sorry. And that last point of... He has committed, therefore He has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. The idea that God wants us to do something with this dwelling of Christ in us. Now we're going to go through the sanctuary and talk about some attacks, and then also we're going to go through some of the church history. The first verse that brings out the concept of attacks on the sanctuary, or one of the places I've chosen, is Revelation twelve seventeen. It says, The dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus. Did you know that the, that the uh, do you remember from the teachings from uh, Pastor Milano that the sanctuary held the commandments of God? Have you been listening about how the articles testify or have the testimony of Jesus Christ? Each one has a particular point to it. Each one has a beautiful belief in there, but you have to understand the, uh, the spiritual application because if all you do is take the literal, you won't understand and you will be misapplied or you'll be doing something that actually does not actually refer to Christ, and I've created a graph in the hopes that this makes it easier, but it may be hard to see. We have uh, six articles, and it looks like the last time I did this, I must have moved it down a little too much. So we have our, our uh, altar of sacrifice. That refers to the cross. This is how it testifies of Jesus. We have the laver, which testifies to his burial and the washing away of sin. We have the showbread, which testifies to his word in the words that he was going to speak and the word of God. Um, We have the altar of incense, which testified to his intercessory um, um, job as an intercessor for us. And that verse I read from, um, I think it was 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.19, that God was in Christ reconciling all of mankind to himself. The candlestick referred to his life, and he was the light to men, and he was going to bring forth um, that concept to everybody. And the last one is the altar, um, sorry, the Ark of the Covenants, which had the Ten Commandments, which he kept perfectly, which we cannot keep perfectly. How neat is that, that God has, is represented in every one of these, and every one of these brings out some work he's trying to do in your life. Now, there's a, 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 a scripture verse that I put in for each one that kind of explains during Jesus' time, they also were not following these, even though they had the sanctuary. John 2 talked about how they were buying and selling inside the church, uh, the sanctuary, and they had made it a marketplace rather than uh, uh, what he had designed it for, which was to point forward to him. He called it a den of thieves. Matthew 23, he called them whitewashed sepulchres. They didn't understand that this sanctuary service was supposed to be renewing and washing away sin, and what they were doing was just cleaning the outside. They were getting dressed up. They were getting outwardly clean. They were wearing suits, ties. They were wearing what they needed to and only looked good on the outside. But in reality, on the inside, they were just as dirty, just as unholy, just as sinful as they were before, and it looked even worse. Mark 7 and John 5 have great stories about how... Um, they put church traditions over the Word of God. In one particular reference, he says, um, you tell parents to give money to the church so that they don't have to take care of their grandparents. And you've, dis- you've done away with the Word of God that says, honor your father and your mother. And he says, it, you call it Corbin. And this is one of the ways that you can do away with God's Word in your life. So this was during Jesus' time. Another one in Matthew 6 He said, don't pray to be seen like the Pharisees. The Pharisees would run around, make lots of noises, have lots of jingly things, just to be seen when they pray. Um, The Good Samaritan in Luke 10 talks about how Jesus um, had an interest, uh, was telling this story to a lawyer, and the lawyer thought that he could justify himself and his actions and who he loved by asking Jesus, "Who who is my neighbor? And Jesus asked him the story about the the, the, uh, Good Samaritan. And he says, who was the neighbor to the Good Samaritan? And he answered, the one who helped him, which was not of his own faith. A lot of the Jews thought only people in their own faith could be saved, and that was their only friends. The last story I did not keep. I don't know if you can see it or if you can edit it or bring it up. Um, I'm trying to think of what it was. One second, and I will probably be able to get to it. Um. The rich young ruler, there it is, Mark 10. The rich young ruler believed that he had kept all ten of the commandments. Christ asks him a story, and he points out when he asks him, will you give up all of your money? that he actually didn't even keep the first commandment, let alone the other nine. And so each one of these things was defiled during Jesus' time, and each one of these things can be defiled in our own life, in our own situation. Moving on, in Daniel, there is a prophecy looking forward to, I think it's Daniel 8 that talks about the 2300-day prophecy. And in the 2300-day prophecy, um, can you move it forward one I'm going to try and reset this. But in the 2300-day prophecy, um, there are, once again, each one of these items were defiled, and this is all in church history. And at one point during the 2300-day prophecy... Oh, I guess we both hit it. Sorry. All right, there we go. I'll try and control it from here on out. Anyway, from the 1300s, uh, there, was, there was, an sorry, during the 2300-day prophecy, and this is in, in uh, uh, sorry, church history, um, in the 1300s, John Wycliffe began publishing the Word because there was no Bible that was published amongst the people. Nobody could get a hold of the Bible, nobody could read it for themselves and understand it for themselves. In the 14s to 1500s, Martin Luther came along in the Reformation, and he particularly brought out about how Jesus was our sacrifice and that sacrifice was enough, that there was nothing else that was needed. In the time when he was living, there were penances and they could buy indulgences that that the church said that would be in addition to Christ's sacrifice. In the 1500s, John Calvin came along and he brought about the concept of Jesus being the only intercessor we need, um, that priests were not needed to con- communicate between God and us to deliver us from sin or to confess our sins. John Smith and Roger Williams uh, uh, were part of the Baptist movement who brought about the concept of repentance and baptism and how important those concepts were together because there was a uh, idea that you could get baptized before you knew or before you repented, um, one of them in specific they brought out was, um, th- that that was during that time, was uh, infant sprinkling. Um, and they brought back the concept of, during baptism, you actually need to repent for something. Um, 1700s John Wesley brought back the concept of va- evangelism, letting your light shine, and um, bringing out that from the candlestick in the sanctuary service in the 1800s there was a, a church formed and it was not formed let's just say all by itself it was it was made up of all these different groups all these different groups of people uh, members um, Presbyterian Baptist Methodists specifically were mentioned uh, were brought together and they they formed another church and they called it the Seventh Day Adventist Church and they had a specific uh, perspective on the Ten Commandments, especially the Sabbath commandment. And this is how each one of these things through church history was brought back together and was brought back to light. But the concept here is there are attacks on the sanctuary. There was one back in Jesus' time, there's one back in church history, but there is also a church attack that is constantly coming on his people. Um. And so, after these attacks happen, the idea is we need to reconnect. We always need to be connected to God, but at times we need to reconnect to God. And this is the part that I really enjoy the most is John 15. Now, if any of you have your Bibles and want to turn there, it's just a few short verses. Um, but we're going to go through the parable of the vine in John 15. John 15, and actually verse 5. Say amen when you get there. All right. John 15, verse 5. By the way, Nathan, I do want to get on your playlist. I do want to find out. I had never heard that song before, but it was so beautiful. I do want to hear it. And um, anyway, I, l- I look forward to hearing. And I've heard from some of y'all some of your different songs, and I absolutely love them. And do share them. Do continue to share because I love music, especially good soul music that really hits you deep. Um, that's one of the most beautiful things. John fifteen five. It says I am the vine you are the branches he that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit for without me you can do nothing Now first I want to point out here that God is stating or making the reference that God's love is for all You recognize that the that the, the sacrifice of cross was good enough for every last person So, when he says this, he says, Everybody is connected to me. Now, later on, he may say that some are broken off, but still, every last person is connected to him. And the difference between the ones who are connected is whether or not they're bringing forth fruit. How long have you been in the church? How long have you known Christ? Are you bringing forth fruit? How do you know? The only, only those who abide, thirdly, only those who abide in Jesus are the ones who are able to uh, uh, produce fruit. So how do we abide in Jesus? Go to verse 9. Verse 9 says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. So Jesus under, or, or the understanding here is if we abide in the Lord, it's the same as to abide in the love of the Lord. So how do we abide in the love of the Lord? Verse 10 says, if you com- keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. So the answer is if we keep his commandments, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. So let's jump down to verse 12 and see what commandments are we to keep. And it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now it's neat here that God puts in a relationship. First off, keep my commandments, but also the relationship is is for you to love one another as I have loved you. So the biggest question here. Question here is: Do you know how God has loved you? Do you know how He has loved you? And I have two last slides. The first one is how to learn. Uh, let's learn how to dwell in God's love. Let's learn how God has loved us. Now I put this together, but you may go home and you put your, may put your own your own together, and you may find way more than I have. And you may have different stories that point this out. Now, once again, this is, uh, I I love the sanctuary, and I think the sanctuary has its place in showing us and reminding us of all the different things, and it's a great blueprint, so to speak, that you can go through. John 3.16 is what I chose, God's sacrifice, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever may believe in Him shall not die but have everlasting life. Do you dwell on God's sacrifice during your day? Do you think about what God has given up? First off, you have to know that the Father and the Son were separated at some point. And there are a number of different psalms that refer to this and the kind of the heartbreaking thought. And if you bring this to your own family, this is a heartbreaking thought also. The labor, Luke 7:40 parable of god's forgiveness this is the one that i always think of and it's where there were two debtors one owed a little one owed a ton and god uh, uh, sorry the, in the parable the the creditor forgave them both but in this instance and in your realization of how much god has forgiven you um do you think about during your day how much god has forgiven you do you think about the little things the big things The showbread, uh, Matthew 3.17, God's affirming word. This is a reference I I put in there toward um, Jesus's baptism. I love this because God speaks from heaven and he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Are you spending time in God's word, in listening to what he says about you? Sometimes it's a very simple word. Sometimes it's very deep, sometimes it can be very poetic and beautiful. Sometimes it's songs. You really need to spend time listening to what God has to say about you. Uh, next is the incense, John 17, Jesus' prayer for you. I don't know if you've read through John 17, but he's got a big, long prayer that he prays for his disciples. But he also says, for those who come after them. Each one of us who come after the disciples that read his word, that follow him, are you talking with God? Do you spend time, whether it's in the moments, whether it's in the rough days, whether it's in a discussion with your boss, whether it's right after that bad email you got from somebody or some horrible word or critically injured person, do you spend time talking to God? Candlestick, um, John ten thirty eight. believe in his works. This is a phrase where, or this is a time when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he said, even if you don't believe in my word or what I'm saying to you, believe in the works that were accomplished. God the Father was behind me or working through me to, vill- to do all of these things. And we know ourselves that we can't do anything in and of ourselves, that it's God working through us. Do you submit to the Holy Spirit's leading? Sometimes um, you may have a plan of how your life is supposed to go. But the Holy Spirit will say, no, 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 I, I really have something better for you. You won't see it immediately, but here is something better. And are you submitting to that leading in your life? Last but not least, there's the Ark of the Covenant, Mark twelve thirty. Excuse me. Somebody asked Jesus, What was the greatest commandment? And he said, Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And the second is like unto it, Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you accept God's character in your life? All of the attributes, all the promises in the Ten Commandments that God has said He will do in your life. Do you accept those in your own life? Do you believe? Not just that God is real, but His promises and what He said about you and what He'll do for you, and all those things are actually real. Do you claim His promises? We all need to spend time doing each one of these, and this will lead to an outflowing of love. And it will lead to all of these things being uh, poured out of you, like it says in in the original Scripture, in the first Scripture, that this leads to a message of reconciliation that God has given to us and that it is Jesus or God dwelling in us. So I want to leave you with these questions and take them throughout your day, but first spend time finding out about how God has loved you in each one of these sanctuary items. But each of these should lead you to the question of In my life, what do I need to sacrifice like Christ sacrificed for me? What do I need? Who do I need to forgive? Maybe I need to forgive myself. There are things that you've done that you may think I can't forgive myself. Who needs an affirming word from you? Who is God calling you to pray for? We all need prayer. Some of us are in deeper needs of prayer at times of strife, of difficulty, of just economic things. And we need prayer. What works is God calling you to do? At different times, each one of us develops each one or is in each one of these sanctuary places, and sometimes you need to develop each one of them, um, Maybe you're in an intense prayer, but um, God's, God may be calling you to sacrifice something or to um, do something for somebody. Maybe He speaks to you during a prayer, and, and the Holy Spirit speaks to you and directs you to do something. And last but not least, the Ark of the Covenant. Who is God calling you to love? There are a number of different stories where God led different people of the Bible um, Jonah, right off the bat, comes to mind, he was led to his enemies to, to um, be a repairer of the breach. They had separated, Nineveh had separated from God, and he was to be their um, reconciliation, their reconciler. And he was to bring God's message to them. And he was to repair the breach, and he did. He wasn't happy about it, but he did. God did through him. But these are the questions I want to leave you with, church. I love you all, and I look forward to um, the way he leads in each one of our lives and the way he leads in your life. And spend time in his word learning what his love really means to you. I think we're going to sing our closing song as Abide With Me, page 50.